Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come as the great physician. You'd come into our midst. Show us the deep wounds that are in us because of sin and apply to us the healing balm of the gospel of Jesus. Have your way among us and be glorified in our midst. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I started listening to this podcast. I'm a huge fan of the, the Office. I know it's been off the air for whatever six years now, seven years now. But I'm a huge fan. I've rewatched it, I don't know, dozens of times. I started listening to a podcast called The Office Ladies, and it's two of the actresses who are uh, main features on the show, and they go episode by episode revealing kind of behind the scenes um, how the episodes was shot and how they built the set and their experience of filming scenes with Steve Carell as he's improvising and going crazy and them trying so hard not to laugh and all these kind of things. And I, I was just thinking about, we love stuff like that, right? Like we love to see behind the scenes. We want to know what's going on. We, if, we, if we see a piece of art or we experience something, we want to know how it got there, how it got to be like that. Why? You know, we want, we want that, the secret to be revealed to us. And as I was thinking about that, I think there's sort of an analogy there in Jesus's baptism that at first you think about Jesus' baptism, and it's curious because he doesn't need to repent. He doesn't need to be baptized, and so what's going on there? Why is he baptized? But as you reflect on it, the baptism of Jesus actually reveals some, some deep and beautiful truths about God's grace and about God himself that, that really strengthens us in our faith. And as we think about our baptism and how we've been swept up into these, these things that were revealed, this grace, this gospel that's been revealed and the God who revealed it and the God who loves us, there's real strength for us in reflecting on and meditating on Jesus' baptism. So first of all, I think Jesus' baptism reveals God's grace towards sinners. There's a couple of, of ways this happens, but just, again, notice, first of all, Jesus doesn't need John's baptism, right? John's baptism is specifically a baptism of repentance. Jesus was sinless. We talked about that on Christmas Sunday. He's like us in every way, but without sin. But Jesus saw sinners flocking to John's baptism. This is, a, this is a direct quote. Jesus saw sinners flocking to John's baptism, and he decided to take his place with them. That's a quote from Leon Morris, the Australian Anglican who's now with the Lord. There's a beautiful sense in which Jesus' compassion, when he sees so many people um, being honest about their need for God's forgiveness and their desire to be reconciled to God, his compassion makes him move toward those people. When he sees sinful people, broken people, his compassion, his love, his mercy, moves him toward those people. He identifies himself with sinners in his baptism. He, he goes to where they are, to where we are, and identifies himself with us. Jesus' baptism consecrates our baptism. It makes our baptism what it is, it makes it special because of his baptism. It makes it powerful because of his baptism. It makes it spiritual because of his baptism. You know, otherwise baptism would just be getting wet on a Sunday for some reason. But because Jesus has been baptized, our baptism is infused and empowered with all this spiritual significance. It's a sign that he, he identified himself so fully with us that when we are baptized, we are fully identified with him. He, in his baptism, united himself to our sinful condition, and we, in our baptism, unite ourselves to his perfect love and grace. Jesus' baptism reveals this beautiful grace of God. And, and it gives us this embodied 
the sacrament, right? We're embodied creatures. We're not just brains floating in a vat. We, we need more than just ideas to hold on. We need tangible things. We need the body of Christ. We need the Lord's table. We need baptism. We need something that we can point to, something that we can see, touch, taste, and feel. And so he gives us, he condescends to us and gives us baptism. You know, it's the difference between if I just say to my wife, I love you. If all I ever did was say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I never gave her a hug, but I never gave her a kiss, right? There, my love was conveyed, but in another sense, there's something, there's like a missing element. As a human, you want to feel it. You want to sense, you want to use your other senses, right? Just not just your ears, but the rest of your senses. And so God has been so gracious to us in giving us baptism. And, and Jesus uniting himself to us makes our baptism significant. The catechism, to be, our ACNA catechism, to be a Christian, it calls the sacraments tangible assurances that we do, in fact, receive the grace they represent. Tangible assurances. Assurances of God's grace. Assurances of God's love. We can look to our baptism and be strengthened by it as we seek to fight sin resist the devil, and walk in obedience to God. We can call down the promises of God made to us in baptism on our behalf. There's a famous story of Martin Luther. It said that on his desk, he, in chalk, he wrote, I am a baptized Christian, right, right over here on his desk so that he could always look at it because he would often feel tormented and condemned by the devil. The devil would say, you did this, you ought not have done this. Look at how wicked you are. Look at all these things. Look at all the evidence of your sin. And Luther would look at that and say, I am a baptized Christian. As a way of calling to mind and calling to his heart the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from sin, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, and all the blessings, adoption to sonship. I am a baptized Christian. If you are baptized, do you ever call that to mind? Do you get, we were singing that song, that first song, and I was just, my sins were just coming to my mind. So, like, specific things in the last couple of weeks that I think, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I wish I was better. Oh, I'm, I feel so guilty. I feel so ashamed. I'm about to get up here and tell you guys about the love of God and the grace of God and blah, blah, blah. And, and on my heart is just this, these black marks of sin. But I am a baptized Christian. Are you a baptized Christian? Call it to mind. Hold on to it. Let it be a tangible assurance of God's grace that you did really truly receive what, all that he promises, that you are his child, that you're a member of his covenant, that, he, that you're marked as God's own forever through faith and baptism. So remember your baptism because Jesus identified himself with sinners and made these, our baptism so powerful. There's another sense in which it shows us the grace of God because in Jesus' baptism, he submits himself to the will of the Father. Right? Jesus didn't need to be baptized. We've already said that multiple times. You're probably tired of me saying it already. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. So, so again, why was he baptized? Actually, the hymn that we sang uh, nailed it perfectly. It said, God's righteousness he thus fulfilled and chose the path his Father willed. His baptism wasn't an act of repentance. It was an act of committing, committing himself to God's purposes, right? And that kind of makes sense if you think about what is repentance. Repentance is, is both turning from sin and turning to God. And so Jesus is not turning from sin. He has no need to, but he is committing himself to God, 
committing his life to God. He's saying, I'm going the way that you lead me no matter where it leads. And then it makes sense that he's immediately led out into the wilderness to be tempted. He has committed himself to God. His baptism is the first step in his public ministry where he begins that perfect life that we look to as our hope and the ground of our salvation. It's the, in his baptism is the message of the gospel that he did everything we should have done, and he did it for our sake, that he lived a perfect life, and he laid that perfect life down on the cross so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be given his record of righteousness. So that now, if we have faith, if we're a baptized Christian, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our record, all the black marks on our heart and in our lives. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And this baptism is the beginning of Jesus winning us that righteousness. And now we believe in him, we are given his righteousness. Philippians 3 verse 9. He has buried the old Adam, and he has given us righteousness. You know, I I found this illustration last night of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. In his biography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, he talks about one day, uh, he was walking along, and he says, "All all of the black marks in my heart were coming to mind. And I was feeling weighed down by that. And suddenly came to my mind this sentence, Thy righteousness is in heaven. A righteousness is in heaven. And, and, and he, as he thought about it, he thought, that means that there will never be a time when God looks at me and says, this guy lacks righteousness. He hasn't done what he ought to have done. He has done what he ought not to have done. But because of Christ, he looks at me and says, righteous. He says, it's not if I'm in a good frame of mind, right? If my faith's in a good place and I'm walking in obedience that I'm more righteous and not that if I'm struggling and I'm in a bad frame of mind that I'm less righteous for my righteousness is in heaven. It is Jesus Christ himself who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus's baptism reveals that beginning of that perfect life for us, that life of obedience that would be given to us through faith, committing himself to God's purposes in the gospel. Tonight's the alpha come and see event. We've been asking you guys to come, and even if you have an RSVP'd, we want to encourage you to come tonight, 6 o'clock. It says 6.30 in the bulletin, but it's 6 o'clock. Come at 6 o'clock. Why? Because if you know this freedom, if you know this forgiveness, if you know this assurance of salvation, don't you want your friends and neighbors and coworkers and loved ones to know it too? And Alpha is such such an easy, all you have to do is invite them, right? You don't have to have the awkward conversation. You get to like kind of outsource that to the Alpha ministry to begin to have the awkward conversation. So please come tonight, check out, see, come and see what Alpha is like. Come and see how it talks about the meaning of Jesus, his death and faith and all of this. Because Jesus has given us a perfect righteousness and that's revealed in his baptism. It also reveals, his baptism reveals that God's grace is not just for a specific people. It's not just for the ethnic Jews, right? If you think about baptism in the new covenant is the sign when you, it's, that's why it's at the back of the nave, right? Or I guess the front of the nave. That's why it's by the door because you enter into the church through baptism. You become part of the covenant by faith and baptism. But in the old covenant, it wasn't, it wasn't baptism, it was circumcision, right? Abraham was given the sign of circumcision. And that makes sense because the covenant was for Abraham and all Abraham's children, and so every child that he had genetically was circumcised. It makes, it makes really good sense. But now, baptism isn't 
confined either to males or females. It's not confined even to Jews, but it's available for Jews and Gentiles. We have a new covenant sign because of Jesus, that whoever believes in him and is baptized has been made part of his family. There's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus and have been united to him by baptism, St. Paul says. That's the story that we read in in the book of Acts. We, We read just an excerpt of it, but Peter went to the house of Cornelius, a centurion, a Gentile, and he preached the gospel, and Cornelius believed, and the Holy Spirit fell on him. And Peter was astounded, because his assumption was that Jesus, the Savior, came for the Jews. But it turns out Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, but he came for all people, every people and tribe, every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom of priests to God to reign with his son. We just saying that. This grace, this, this sign of baptism shows that God's grace is offered to all people. Cornelius and his family, the Gentiles, they received the Spirit, that's verse 45 of Acts 10, and they were baptized, Acts 10, 48. This was God's plan all along. That's what we celebrate on Epiphany, that a mystery hidden for all ages has been revealed, that the light for the nations has come. Jesus Christ, the Savior of all. And if we think about that, what's the implication for us today? You know, we don't live our lives in a, in a world where we think there's basically two types of people, Jews and Gentiles. That's the world that Peter lived in. But what's, what, what's the two categories of people that's somewhere deep in the back of your mind? Right? Is it ethnic? Is it racial? Is it class? Is it na- nationality? What is it? The gospel says there's no ground for that. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Anyone can be baptized. Anyone can be baptized. Verse 43 of Acts 10. Everyone, the prophets say, everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Jesus reveals the grace that the grace of God can go to all people to every nation. And finally, the baptism of Jesus re- reveals to us the mystery of the Trinity. And we, we say the creed every week, right? So we're, we're constantly meditating on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one essence, three persons in one essence. But this is one of the first times in Holy Scripture where we get the Father, the Son, and the Spirit named all together right there. Just the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke. There's a sense in which everything Jesus does reveals the Father, right? Hebrews 1 says that he's the exact imprint of God. He's the radiance of his glory. Everything Jesus does shows us God the Father. But this is a very special moment, a very special moment in Jesus' ministry and a very deep revelation of who God is, what God is like, that he is three persons in one God. That's what it says in verse 22, right? The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove and a voice that would be the Father said to him, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A loving communion of three persons from eternity. That's confirmed and strengthened in our baptism, right? We're baptized in the one name, not the three names, but the one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is a a beautiful and deep revelation, and it's good news for us because it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are at work through Jesus for our salvation. You know, Jesus is not the one who sneaks us in the back door of heaven, but the Father sent the Son and empowered him by the Spirit to be our Savior. 
Look at uh, the, the Isaiah passage that we had. Isaiah 42, verses 1 and 2. That's what it talks about. It says that God says of Jesus, Behold my servant whom I uphold my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him to bring forth justice in the nations. Righteousness in the nations. I have anointed this one, my servant, to be the Savior. You know, God, God sent the Son. We say that in the comfortable words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are at work to bring this beautiful revelation of grace, to, uh, to bring us into relationship with him, to provide us the forgiveness of sins we were just talking about, to give us that record of righteousness in Jesus' name. Three persons, the servant, the spirit, God in Isaiah, the father, the son, and the spirit in Luke chapter three, bringing salvation and justice to the nations. So you're a baptized Christian. Are you a baptized Christian? I assume that most of you are. I'm a baptized Christian. Do you, how, do you, how can you hold on to that? Right? What's, how, how does it strengthen your faith? How does it strengthen your heart? If I could return to that idea of union with Christ. In, in Isaiah, it says for, in 42 verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Now, initially, God is speaking of Jesus there. But if you are united to him, then everything he says about Jesus, he's now saying about you. So think about that. As you face your life, as you live in this world where Omicron is spiking and, and it just, there's tumult and uncertainty and confusion and, and just not to mention all just like the regular everyday stuff of being a human living in a broken world who's a, who's a sinful person as well. All of that, in all of that, God says to you, if you are a baptized Christian, I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. You're God's now, God's servant, God's chosen. God's soul delights in you if you're in Jesus. And, and I, this is the most beautiful thing to me uh, of all of it. In, in baptism, because you're united to Jesus and Jesus is united to you, now God speaks those very same words he spoke over Jesus. He speaks them over you. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. So walk in love. Be God's servant. Remember your baptism and rest in God's grace. Amen.